You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, good morning. How are you today? The 11 o'clock crowd, you look great, you sounded great, worship was great. Um, as always, I just want to say how great it is for me to be here with you again, um, how great it is to worship. And I just have to say, I think the worship is always incredible. I thought it was exceptional today just for a great change. So can we just thank our worship team again for all that they do every week and leading us in worship? Thank you. Uh, and it's uh, always great that we can come together and we can grow together in our, our journey with Jesus, our faith journey. And that's, that's what it's all about. I want to encourage you this morning uh, by saying this. Um, no matter what challenging situation you might find yourself in, either right now, or maybe say, right now I'm not really in a challenging situation. Then I'll say, or maybe next week, or next month, or in the year to come. At some point in your life, you already have... And if you're not now, you will face challenging situations. Am I right? Yeah, there's probably not anyone in the room who has never faced a crisis or a challenging situation. So what I want to say to you this morning is in those times or when those times come, God's great desire is to lead you, to guide you, to direct you into your future, to help you navigate through the unknowns of life. And life is full of unknowns. Um, Psalm 32.8 says this, And this is assurance for us. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you are to go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isn't that that encouraging? Let me say it again. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you are to go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's, that's the word from the Lord. And I find great comfort in that. I've come to a place in life, and I think I came to it long ago, that without God's guidance, I always mess it up. Uh, without God's help, I, I understand that I need His wisdom. I need His direction. I need His leadership. I need His counsel in my life. And I know the same is true of you. So today, as I pray for us, I want to pray that we would embrace that in a way that we never have before. Would you bow your heads? Father God... Uh, Thank you uh, for your presence in this place. We recognize that you are here among us. You are living within the praises that we have lifted up to you, and we will continue to lift up to you. Your word says that you actually inhabit, you live within the praises of your people, and we know that that's true today. We thank you, Father, because uh, you are the, the God who guides. You are the God who leads. You are the God who directs. You are the God of, uh, who knows all of the unknowns of life. And so today we call out on you for that leadership. And we say that we place you first in our lives. And Father God, we ask that today as we look to your word, that through your word, by your spirit, you would transform us uh, uh, into the image of the Father so that we could just become more and more like you every single day of our life. And we pray this in the most powerful name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Well, um, in most recent days, we have all come to be aware uh, in a maybe a greater, in a very sobering way that um, we are surrounded by people who are uh, in crisis. We are surrounded by people who are trying to figure out what to do, how to navigate through the unknowns of their future. Um, For instance, in a nearby county, not many miles away from us, uh, we've heard the story of uh, parents who were desperately seeking for their six-year-old son Maddox, only to find him six days later 
but not as they had hoped. But instead of being alive, he was found in a, in a shallow uh, water grave. And so we know that there's a family who's trying to navigate through this crisis, through this challenge. Um, how, how do we make it through this time? What's the direction for our life? And then we look to the coastal regions of North and South Carolina, and we, we know that there is still uh, flooding that's happening. Uh, we understand, we know that there are people who are still dealing with the aftermath of flooding and the process of cleanup. And what we've come to realize is the loss is much greater than simply the loss of property because the death toll has now risen to at least 43, the last I heard. And so, again, uh, the tangible thing like the loss of property, which is great, I don't want to devalue that, but in, reference, uh, in contrast to the loss of life becomes a totally different thing. And so uh, we find people who have been affected at an emotional and a mental level. And so they're faced with how do we face the future? The future is unknown. What is it going to look like for us? They need direction for their future. And then there are stories that are much closer to home. In fact, they're our stories. And all throughout this room, I, I am sure that there are stories people who represent stories where there are challenging times that you've gone through or that you're going through, you're trying to navigate through, and you need direction from God. And uh, these, these challenging times can be in the area of uh, family, relationship, finances, health, emotional challenges um, and that cause mental challenge, the challenge of fear. There, there's, a, there's a crisis at hand, and you're trying to figure out how do I know? I don't know what the future holds because of this thing that has happened or the situation that I'm in. And, and I, I, need, I need help. I, I need to know what the next step is. There's one thing that we can know for sure about all of these situations. Every challenging situation, every crisis, whether it's uh, next door, whether it's in the next county, whether it's uh, right here in this room, or whether it's in the coastal region, wherever it might be in the universe, there's one thing that I'm sure that all of these have in common, and it's that they have unknown. They have some degree of the unknown. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate through my future. You see, we can't deny that life presents us with times and seasons where we'll have uh, 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 situations where we don't know how to respond, where there will be um, a God opportunity that's bigger than we are or a crisis that we just don't have the answer to. We don't know what to do. In fact, if I could ask this morning, how many of you would say, I have just gone through a crisis, or it might not be a crisis, but a challenging situation, or I'm going through one, but, or, or what, here's what maybe the question is, I need direction, I need to know how to navigate through the unknowns of life. Would you raise your hand if, you, if you're that, in that place this morning? I would say most raise their hand, but I think we're all in need of that. And so this morning, I'm glad to tell you that we actually do have an answer. It's right here. And this morning, in fact, I want you to take out your Bibles or your, your, your device, whatever how you go to Scripture now, and I want you to turn or swipe to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to look to the story this morning of King Jehoshaphat, uh, and King Jehoshaphat uh, gives us, reveals to us some ways to navigate through the unknown uh, the unknowns of life. We're going to do something a little bit different. The service has been different from the get-go this morning, from the music to the kids having, and I want you to uh, join me in welcoming Pastor Nick to the platform. We're actually going to tag-team the message this morning. I'm going to do a couple points. He's going to do a couple points, and I'll conclude it. Would you welcome him this morning?
He is a great teacher. He's been a great asset this morning. Um, so I want to read the passage to you this morning, uh, about 12 verses out of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, and you've probably gotten used to me saying now, before I read a passage, let me give you a little context. I just think that that's so important. What's been happening before? What's happening in the midst of? What might be happening afterwards? Because it actually helps us to understand in context of what's going on so that we can take it in context and apply it to our life today. How does it translate? So here's what we know. Uh, king Jehoshaphat uh, was uh, uh, appointed king after the king of Judah, after the death of his father, King Asa. King Asa was the king of Judah. Um, king Jehoshaphat was considered to be a godly man. Um, he, uh, he, his, his life was modeled much after King David, at least in King David's earlier years. Immediately upon assuming the role of king, uh, King Jehoshaphat began to bring reformation uh, to Judah. He began by reforming the religious practices of the day who had gotten very far from, from the word, from the law. He also began to uh, reform the judicial system because it had gotten off track too. Um, and so, again, he, he, he was a good king, but there was at least one mark against him, and it's that he entered into an unholy alliance with King Ahab, the king of Israel. Uh, King Ahab, uh, if you remember, was married to Jezebel. And we don't really hear good things about Jezebel when we read Scripture. We hear some really bad things. Um, he, because of this unholy alliance that he entered into, it caused King Jehoshaphat to actually be engaged in an unholy battle, a battle that had not been commissioned by God. And as a result, after that battle, a prophet, a prophet of God came to King Jehoshaphat and he said, this is the word of the Lord to you. He said, because you've entered into this unholy alliance with King Ahab, at some time in your future, you will experience the wrath of God. And so when we begin to read Second, Chron- uh, Second Chronicles chapter 20, right away uh, in the first few verses, we realize that King Jehoshaphat is probably thinking, oh no, this might be the time. So let me read the first 12 verses to you. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in in, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, 
whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. It really kind of teaches itself. You can pull the points out yourself. But what we find in summary of this passage is that King Jehoshaphat reveals to us a way to navigate through the unknowns of life while seeking direction from God. Let me say that again. He reveals to us a right way to navigate through the unknown, through the crisis seasons of life, while seeking direction from God. So we're going to pull out this morning, there's, there's five lessons to be learned in how to navigate through, through those seasons of life. And so we would begin by saying, uh, what do we do? When we're faced with crisis, when we're faced with challenging situations, when we're faced with the unknown, what do we do? And the first thing that we do, we learn from Jehoshaphat, is we talk to God. You might say, well, that's pretty obvious. Talk to God. Well, let me say this. Uh, There's actually three things that I want to say about this. Not only are we to talk to God, but we're to talk to God first. There's a difference. Talk to God first. So often when we're faced with crisis or calamity or challenging situations, we go, oh, God, and then we call our neighbor, we call a stranger, we call a friend, we, we talk to a counselor. And here's what I would say. It's not to say that God would not use any one of those individuals to give you direction into the unknowns of your life. But the point is, talk to God first and let God direct you as to who you should talk to. Because maybe he has a direct word for you. Maybe God wants to say, this is the way that you should go. And you would trust him so much that you would begin to move in it. But he might say, I want you to talk to this friend because this friend has gone through this before and they have wisdom that they gain from me and they can give to you. The point is, talk to God first. Don't talk to him next. Talk to him first. Don't talk to him last. Talk to him first. That's how we begin to receive the direction that we need in our life. The second thing that I want to say is um, uh, when we talk to God, we talk to him first, but we have to be honest with him. So often we come before God and we feel like we have to be kind of fake. We, We come to him with this formalized, oh God, um, I just... And we talk to him as if God didn't already know the situation and God didn't already know all the stuff going on inside of you. God didn't already know maybe the wrong choices that you made to get you where you are or the choices of of other people that have caused this situation. God already knows and we can't be afraid to talk honestly with him. When we look at King Jehoshaphat's prayer, in the latter portion, it's very obvious that he was honest with God. He said he, he said all of these things. He prayed all of these things as he talked to God. And then, he, then he reminded God, so to speak. This is my paraphrase. Uh, but God, I want to remind you, you told us not to push those people out of the land. And so we were obedient to you. And now here they are. They're coming to attack us. What's up with this, God? That's, that's my paraphrase. Um, In other words, there was an honesty that Jehoshaphat was willing to have with God, and we see that it led to victory. 
When we think about King David throughout the, uh, uh, all the stories that we read about King David, it seems like most of his life, because of his uh, fleeing from King Saul, that he lived his life in crisis, in challenge. And when you read Psalms, what you find is a book of prayer uh, where King David, in a, such a raw manner, speaks to God in such honesty that you would say, really, can you get away with that, talking to God like that? There's an honor, there's a reverence, but there is an honesty where he lays it out on the line before God, and God still loves him. God still works in his behalf. Listen, there is not anything that you can say or do that will cause God to love you any less. Do you hear that? There's not anything that you can say or do. When you're in your times of prayer, there's not anything that you can say to God that will cause God to love you any less. This morning, I want you to listen to a, a testimony by way of video. It's just a little less than three minutes. And the story is the story of a woman who found herself in a great crisis situation, very challenging. And although she knew that she should go to God, it wasn't the first place she went. There were reasons that she didn't go. Um, but finally... She went to God, and in that, she was honest, and she laid it out before God, and she had breakthrough. The story is very near to me because it's the testimony of my wife, so would you please watch this by way of video? In 1998, Stan was on staff as the executive pastor, and I was serving in women's ministries at a large, growing, vibrant church in Southern California. In December of that year, uh, we experienced a larger-than-life betrayal from a partner in ministry who was also a very, very good friend. Um, it was very serious, and it was very public. It was a very, uh, very dark time in our lives. It was during this time I started experiencing some pretty serious panic attacks. And one morning, I was home alone with our boys, and I just had a really bad one coming on. It was just hitting me really hard. I was very overwhelmed. I knew the answer was to pray, but up to this point, it just seemed like my prayers just weren't working. So I ended up calling Chuck. Chuck was one of Stan's old college professors who had become a spiritual father to us. And when I explained what was going on to Chuck, he uh, really calmly said, Cammie, um, your problem isn't fear. Your problem is anger. You are so mad about this situation and what's going on. I want you to go in your bedroom. I want you to lock the door. And I want you to get really, really honest with God. And by the way, while you're doing this, you need to tell him how mad you are at him because you are. You're really mad. And you need to admit that. Um, and then he said, I'll never forget it. He said, Cammie, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. I remember just laying on the floor and um, the first words that came out of my mouth were, God, this is just so unfair. Um, when I was done, what had seemed like about 10 minutes was actually an hour and 15 minutes. I had been laying it on the line to God for that long. Um, but immediately, I knew that everything was different. It's as if I heard God say, Cammie, finally you got honest with me. 
Now I can do in you what I need to do. Don't be afraid just to get honest, to get back into that private place where you can lock the door and uh, you can cry if you need to. You can do whatever it is you need to do, but just be really open and honest with God and um, just let it all out, so to speak. Just let him into all those places um, because it will forever change your walk with him, I promise. When we pray, there is nothing that we can say or do in our honesty that will cause God to love us any less. Actually, that's what he wants to do. He wants us to dredge it up so he can take it and bring healing and wholeness. Here's the third thing I want to say about talking to God. Um, Trust God in the unknowns. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. In other words, when the unknowns come, when the crisis comes in, I don't know what the future holds, I don't know what to do next, we simply put the full weight of our faith on God that He sees, He knows, He will lead us, He will guide us. So what else? What else does King Jehoshaphat teach us? Well, when we find ourselves in crisis, when we find ourselves in those challenging situations, uh, when we find ourselves not knowing what to do in the unknowns of life, we focus on God through fasting. We focus on God through fasting. And, um, you know, King Jehoshaphat, it said he was alarmed and he called, uh, he, 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 he determined to pray and then he called a fast. There's so much that could be said about fasting, but obviously time won't permit it. But here's what I do want to say today. Fasting is about much more than abstaining from food. That's part of it. But just abstaining from food alone is called a diet which most of us aren't successful at, right? Think about it. But when we partner, when we combine prayer and fasting, what happens is we're in prayer, a season of prayer, and we determine to fast. Fasting's about self-denial. So I deny myself something that I love so much, and it's food. And what happens is it begins... Honestly, in my past times of fasting, what happens is when I... Uh, go without food, the first thing that happens is I get really grumpy. But after that, I, something starts churning inside of me and I start recognizing some things about myself. You see, fasting is about self-examination. Really, when we're fasting, we're going through a time of self-examination and what we're looking for in that self-examination are what are the situations where in my life have I placed myself above God? Where have I taken the leadership role and I've placed God down here? And as we examine, we look within and we find those places the Holy Spirit reveals to them, then we have to, have an, uh, we have to become uh, very humble. In other words, we bow in humility before God in that season of fasting. We say, God, I have placed myself in leadership in these areas of my life where you should be leading, and I'm so sorry. I repent. I, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. And what happens is there's a reversal where we become low and God becomes high. And what happens is when we're fasting combined with prayer, then we move God into his rightful place. We focus on God and then it clears the way for him to give us direction. We're able to hear his voice. We're able to, to, to receive that direction, that instruction, that wisdom, that counsel that only God can give to us. Pastor Nick, take us on. 
So point three, when we find ourselves uh, facing the unknown or facing a crisis, um, one thing that we need to make sure we do is pray God's promises. And so when we see King Jehoshaphat in this situation, uh, we see him in a time of crisis. We see him in a panic. We see him thinking everything that's going to happen isn't going to be good. And so through this passage, we notice that he, he's going to God. And, and he reaches a point in verses 7 through 9, and, and I'm summing it up here, but he goes to God and he cries out to him, God, aren't you the one that drove out the inhabitants of this land? Aren't you the one that brought your people here? Aren't you the one that told us that if we are in struggle, that we could come to you? And if we come to you, we'll cry out to you. You'll hear us and you will save us. And I think about him speaking these words and I can just imagine him as a king feeling like he's being attacked, feeling like he's about to see a struggle, feeling like he's in a time of crisis. And as he's crying out these promises to God, you can almost sense that a weight is being lifted off his shoulders. That he's remembering what God has done in their lives. He's remembering everything that God promised. And almost to the point where he reaches those verses where that when we come to God, you will hear us and you will save us. And I almost picture it just coming off his lips as like a, a sign of relief. Because in his time of struggle, in his time of crisis, He was able to remember everything that God was able to do for him, able to do for his people. And when he remembered those things, he remembered who God was and was able to feel security in knowing that God was going to continue to be faithful and continue to bring him out of this time of crisis. And that's something that we can do for our lives too. You know, the first thing that we can do in order to pray God's promises is make sure we go back to the word of God. That if we go to scripture and we can actually pray scripture, we see God's character and we remind ourselves of who God is and what he's been able to do. You know, I think Elizabeth at the beginning of service did a great job talking about her mission trip because she talked about before going on that trip, the struggles that she was facing with her own faith and really struggling with identifying, can God really be this great? But when she went on her trip, obviously she saw amazing things. She saw God move in people's lives. And when she shared that scripture, you know, it's one of the things where she knows that when she goes to those verses, when she reads about God's love, not only is it something that happens in God's word, but she saw God do that in her own life. And that's something that I know that as someone running after God, if she's ever in a time of struggle, she can hold on to that promise. And she knows that God will continue to be faithful in that same way, no matter where she finds herself. And we can all have that same confidence, but it just requires us making sure we remember who God is and remembering the promises that he's given us. You know, one of my favorite movies growing up was For Love of the Game. Starring Kevin Costner, so it's obviously a classic. And, um, and he plays a baseball player, and he's playing a Major League Baseball player who's at the end of his career. He's gone through surgeries. He's gone through injuries, all types of struggles. But um, as an older player, he finds himself in a situation where, where he's about to have a perfect game, um, which is something that every player wishes that they could have the opportunity to do. But, but he actually finds himself here at the end of his career. And he's in the middle of the game, and you see this moment where he's going through fatigue. He's going through his crisis, and he's going through a time where he's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to see the other side of this. 
And he starts kind of struggling with his pitching. He starts really struggling with what he's trying to do. And in the movie, you see him have a flashback to him and his dad. And he has a flashback about when he was a teenager and first learning how to pitch and see him getting frustrated, seeing him get mad. And and you see his dad in the moment, don't worry about pitching, don't worry about fastballs, let's just have a catch. And it's a moment where him as a player had to realize he didn't have to focus on what he had to figure out. He didn't have to focus on the, the, the big details of how to throw a perfect game. He just had to get himself back to the mechanics of remembering how to throw the ball, how to just do something that he knew was so natural. But he had to allow himself to remember those basic things. And that's what we find ourselves doing in our spiritual life. Because I think all of us, whether we're in a crisis or not, can find ourselves in situations where where we find ourselves in prayer or going into a moment where we're seeking after God, but we really just don't even know where to begin. You know, we don't even know how to begin the conversation or begin the prayer. But if we can just start with remembering God's promises and going to Scripture and just praying out to God and acknowledging who He is, then we remember God's character and we can remember how that character was revealed in our life. And when we see how God's worked in our life, we can have faith and we can have confidence to know that those promises are going to continue to be with us throughout any crisis that we see ourselves in. But it just requires us to remember to go back to God's promises first and reminding ourselves that he will continue to be faithful in those same ways. And I think when we're able to do that, we naturally flow into this next point, that when we find ourselves in crisis, we just have to make sure that we don't remain afraid which is kind of hard to say, like, I can sit here, well, it's easy to say, I can sit here and tell you don't be afraid, but to go out and actually do it, it's hard. And we see in verse 3, all the way back in the beginning, Jehoshaphat was actually in a moment where it flat out says he was afraid. So how can we sit here and just say don't be afraid when Scripture actually says, oh, we're going to be afraid? But there's a difference between focusing and dwelling in the fear and moving past uh, an initial reaction. You know, because we're all humans, we all, we all struggle with initial reactions of fear. If a snake crawled out under the stage right now, I would have an initial reaction of fear. And I would yell to Aaron to come and get the snake because I'm not going to touch it. But he probably would. But Not me. I would be out of here. If you want to, go ahead. <laughs> but, um, but we can't dwell in those fears. And that's why it's so important for us to make sure that we turn back to God's promises. Because God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. He gives us the spirit of of strength, of love. And if we hold on to God's spirit, then we can move past that fear and have confidence in the situation at hand. You know, an example of it, and Kurt, if you don't mind uh, dipping the lights, let's say that this pen is an example of a fear or a problem that we might have in our life. And if we just focus on the problem, and we continue to focus only on the problem, then we can make the problem look a lot bigger than it normally is. If we focus on the problem and just pay all of our attention on it, it can turn into something much bigger than it was originally intended to be. But if we allow God into the situation, if we allow God's presence to fill our lives, then the problem doesn't look so big. And in fact, it doesn't only not look as bad, but we know that it's something that can be conquered through what God can do in our lives and not on our own strength. So that if we focus on God 
and steer away from the problem and move past the fear, then not only is our crisis conquerable, but it's something that we can actually find an opportunity to praise God in. And that leads us into our fifth point, Pastor Stan. And it's a great way to close. Um, when we find ourselves in those crisis situations, when we find ourselves in those points of unknowns and we don't know what to do uh, about the future, then we need to move in worship. And that's exactly what King Jehoshaphat had the people do. A couple of verses that we didn't read, I'll read them to you in verses 21 and 22. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed them to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, remember, they haven't, they're just now going into battle. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were in, uh, invading Judah, and they were defeated. Do you see what happened? They, before they actually even went into battle, as the battle formation was starting, the worshipers went ahead. They worshiped before, they worshiped during, and they worshiped after. And the end result was that they realized the victory that God had brought. And they didn't do it themselves. It said that God brought ambushes against the, the, the army that they were fighting. God took charge. God was in control. And it's all because uh, they talked to God. Uh, they talked to God first. Uh, they, they entered into a time of fasting. They prayed the promises. They decided not to focus on the fear. And now they're worshiping and there's victory that they experience. And that's a life lesson for us. We cannot devalue the, the, the significance of worship, not just when we come together on Sunday morning, but as a way of life, that we are continually walking, practicing the presence of the Lord, and that we are a worshiping people. Sometimes it's so hard to worship in the midst of the battle. That's the best time to worship because what happens is we cling, we call, we fall into God like never before, and we search the Scriptures to find out who He is. Worship. We must never devalue it. Worship magnifies God in the midst of the crisis. Worship builds our faith. Worship opens the way for God to work. So today, Pastor Nick and I, I think what we would like to drive home is you will face these situations in your life. You may be in it right now, but you're not defeated. You don't have to live in defeat. God has already won the victory for you through Jesus Christ. But he's wanting us to draw into him. He's drawing us closer to him. He wants us to experience him in a brand new and intimate way, even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the crisis. So as a people, we have to navigate through these unknown times. We have to be committed to say, God, I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to talk to you first. I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to trust you, even when I don't know what's going on. God, I'm going to fast and pray. And fasting might be something new for many of you. If you want to know more about it, talk to me. I, I can help you with that. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to your word and I'm going to pray the promises. God, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm just not going to do it, God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship you throughout. And I, I commit to you that you will see breakthrough. It might not come right away. 
We, we're an instant society. We like things to happen instantly, but God will bring what you're looking for. He will give you direction for your future. He will show you. He will teach you. He will instruct you. He will counsel you through the situation. You will know which way to go if you call out to Him. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.